0: Welcome to the Resilience Breakthrough Podcast. This is Christian Moore. And I'm Dave Biesinger. And today we have an educator out of Brooklyn who has both a a powerful professional story and a powerful personal story. Uh, Dr. Allison Farrington is the principal of the Research and Service High School. She believes that strong community relationships are essential to academic and civic achievement. And she navigated her school through the pandemic where she faced food shortages and really like unprecedented challenges. Um, Dr. Farrington empowers students to excel both in and outside the classroom. Control, optimism, resilience, and empowerment are her school's core values, and she herself is no stranger to the university of adversity. Uh, in fact, Allison has a very powerful story of personal resilience, and, and she's tied to the community where she's an educator. So she's from Brooklyn, and she's an educator in Brooklyn, and without further ado, let's get her in here. Welcome to the show, Dr. Allison Farrington.
1: Thank you. Thank you both for having me.
0: Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to join us today. Um, You know, as as we jump into this, just give people a little bit more of a feel for your role in your school, how long you've been doing it, your background and some other ways that you're influential in your community.
1: Absolutely. So I've been an educator for 22 years total. Um, I've been a principal for nine. I'm the founding principal of Research and Service High School. Um, It was I was able to design this school with thinking about my own lived experiences and what students, what, what it is I needed as a student in, in order to be successful. Um, what I felt like I didn't receive. Uh, I tried to instill here in the core values and the principles and the lessons and the love and in the journey that our students go through here. Uh, I make sure that it's, it's one that's shaped in love, um, shaped in accountability, shaped in community responsibility. Um, my, my story hasn't been an easy one, but it's been a blessed one. It's been a fun one.
0: Well, tell us about that. Tell us about growing up in Brooklyn and some of the challenges you faced.
1: So one of the biggest challenges I faced, um, there is, I grew up in a public housing project called Marlboro Houses um, in the middle of Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. And for folks who aren't familiar with Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, in the, in the era in which I grew up in, uh, we were plagued with a lot of racism. Mm -hmm. Uh, old school, old school, old school racism, and you wouldn't think that one would experience that growing up in the eighties and the nineties. But when I say we had to be bused to school because it was unsafe for middle age, middle school students to just simply walk. Mm -hmm. We were being abused by adults because of the color of our skin, Mm -hmm. Um, our education system Um, There used to be something called zoning and tracking. Zoning is if you live in a particular area, you have to go to a particular school. Tracking is when you go to that particular school, they put you in particular classes based upon their perceived intellectual ability of yours. So we in Marlboro had particular addresses. The principals would look at our addresses and say, these students. Uh, from the projects we're going to put them in the low functioning classes
0: so they would just take a look at an address and assume low intelligence
1: yep and um, my, mom, my mom became very hip to that very early on and fought to have me put pla- placed in honors classes um mm-hmm. and in these honors classes i was the only black girl in them from probably first grade through ninth grade mm-hmm. And in that class, uh, from let's say first grade to sixth grade, it was myself as the only Black girl, and then a good friend, lifelong friend of mine, Jerry Mack, as the only Black boy. Um, and in high school, once I got to middle school, again, it was myself and a good friend, may rest in peace, Christopher Brown, and that was it.
0: Sorry to hear about Christopher Brown. Thank you. How, 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 do you mind me asking how old you are now and how old Chris Christopher was when he passed?
1: I am 45 now, and Chris passed maybe maybe six or seven years ago of kidney failure.
0: Oh, I'm sorry to hear that.
1: And we were tight friends. We were, I mean, those experiences you you create lifelong bonds because the racism that we experience um, from our classmates, um, but then also dealing with our the students that look like us saying that we wanted to be white because we were smart.
0: So not feeling like you fit in anywhere, but not, not with people who looked like you and not with people who didn't look like you, feeling like absolutely. you stuck out like a sore thumb, huh? Absolutely,
1: mm. absolutely.
2: Yeah, so did did, did um did they pick up on your mom's insight? Did they see that you, you had this ability academically or do you feel like you weren't able to show them your academic ability?
1: Oh, I was, um, I was. I was able to because we were smart kids we we, we earned a seat right but the thing about earning the seat that taught me to build the table and open research and service high school
0: yeah Yeah, that's awesome (laughs) tell us about some of the other challenges and you know maybe maybe any of the things that you did to kind of you know either either fight back or shut down in the face of all of that adversity
1: so many of the other challenges, I mean, growing up a kid in the projects, you become extremely resourceful, right? I mean, we learned how to make wrestling belts out of cardboard. You know, we were extremely resourceful. Um, but just falling in love with the fast life, falling in love with fast money, falling in love with, you know, uh, uh, drug dealers, doing all types of stuff that I had no business doing, absolutely mm-hmm. positively, no business doing. I ended up um, with people wanting to harm me. And from, because of that, I had to move to the state of Vermont. Uh, I've completed high school in the state of Vermont. I was in Vermont for like two years. Wow. So, um,
0: you were, a you were a freshman when this happened. Can you you tell us, can you tell us what happened?
1: I was in, I can't give you all the details, when I can't oh, be yeah. okay. yeah, That's free cold, I was actually yep, yep. in the uh, 11th grade when this happened. I started mm. two years, I did a year and a half of high school here in New York, um, and then I finished out high school in the state of Vermont. There, the adversities that I faced were were, were different as well. To be 16, living on your own. Mm. Uh, well, I, I was living with my older sister, uh, who was in college, right? Wow. I had a full-time job. Um, going to high school and the racism I experienced in high school from, I'm talking about administrators, teachers, students, um, my high school had about 5,000 students and about 30 of us were black. Um, yeah. we were in Burlington, Vermont, right? I wow, the wow. black population in the state was like less than 1% when I was there. Yeah, and two then,
3: Americans I, there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I remember like one quick story. I remember we were in gym class and we were playing Batman and I'm hitting the birdie, hitting the birdie, hitting the birdie, hitting the birdie. My partner doesn't want to play with me because I'm black. So I'm steady hitting the birdies, running to the other side of the net, getting them, still hitting them, you know, trying to just be a student. And the gym teacher walks over to me and he asked me, why wasn't I playing fair? And I was like, well, what do you mean to play fair? I'm confused. He was like, she's not engaged. That's not fair. And I was like, she's not engaged because of the color of my skin. And that's not fair.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's not fair, but it's not fair. Yeah.
1: So why are you bothering me when I'm the victim?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Man, those are, those are hard experiences. So, so what, if you were to say like, what, what did you come away from your time in Vermont with? Like what, what was kind of the the big takeaway from your time in Vermont?
1: Um, there was so many. So my first night, because my reputation preceded me to Vermont. Right. Mm. And, uh, my sister thought it'd be cool to get like the local high school kids to, and throw a party, um, for me, like my first night there to make me comfortable. So because my reputation preceded me, they was like, you know, we're gonna show you what we do to get in trouble. And I'm like, yeah, we're gonna rob somebody. Like I was ready, right? I, I was so ready. We get in this car, I'm 16. I was shocked to see a 16 year old um, own a car legally, because in New York, we were stealing them. Um, and we go to a farm. So in this point in time, I'm thinking, oh snap, I got caught. They're gonna kill me. <laughs> I thought we were going around.
3: Yeah.
1: No, we get out of the car and they want to show me their version of fun was cow tipping.
3: Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say I was gonna just make Listen,
1: <laughs> I've seen a cow in real life. I didn't know how big they were, how ugly they were. I didn't understand the snot and the no, I had no clue because my experience with a cow is what you see on a milk cart, right? I'm a Brooklyn mm-hmm. kid. So they start tipping these daggone cows over, and I start. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. This I'm not doing. I'm not touching these cows. So the farmer comes out of the house, and the farmer starts shooting, and they oh. get, <laughs> all of the kids go running. I had already gotten back in the car because I was like, I don't want no parts of these cows, no. Um, and what the farmer did was he knew that this is something that kids would do, so he removed the outhouse shed um, from from the doodle pit, and the kids were falling into them. And I was like, I don't understand where this is fun at. I don't understand. Y'all are crazy. What is (laughs) happening? Um, But some of the biggest takeaways uh, living in Vermont and in my experience there, my high school was five buildings connected through glass carpeted corridors. Right. There was a lake behind my school. There was a crew team. There was a lacrosse team. You know, there was drivers ed. They were. It was neat. It was organized. Like, and to be in advanced placement classes and just have like philosophy class. I said I need that experience for people in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how I was going to do it because I was only a teenager. I didn't think that I'd be an educator. Uh, I thought that I would be a politician when I got back to New York City. Um, I got pregnant shortly after um, turning 18. I um, uh, had my first son when I was 18 and ended up going to Brooklyn College. And then there, you know, I became connected with student government um, and all of these other organizations. And I worked with very briefly, I worked with Shopton, but then our Al Shopton, the great, uh, legendary Reverend Al Sharpton. But then I, I realized Pretty quickly, I didn't like politics and that brought me back to wanting to be an educator. Uh, mm-hmm. I never saw myself as a administrator, I didn't think, because to be honest too, I never had a black teacher. Wow. I never- Hard, hard I saw, to see I didn't
0: something you've ever seen, you know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that we could be teachers, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I never had a black administrator. I didn't know that they existed until I started teaching. I just never heard people say I'm a teacher. That's just not what my community really did. Um, so in being able to establish research and Service High School, I took a bunch of my lived experiences um, and said, this is gonna be the systems that we create to help our young people mitigate life um, and their lived experiences. The criteria to get into research and Service High School is you must have been unsuccessful in high school before. So these kids aren't coming to me straight out of middle school. They're coming to me because they've been in high school for three, four, sometimes even five years already.
0: Wow. Wow, and you know, I, w- I want to get to, I just want to plan a flag in yeah. this one, but I want to get back to your story to, you know, how, how you decided to become an educator and stuff. But um, I'm I'm wondering what the secret sauce is to, to get a kid who's been in high school for four or five years to, to then turn around and take an interest in their own life and education and and to graduate like i i would love to hear this your secret sauce on that one
1: No, it's it's actually really simple well the first the major ingredient is love that's 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 Mm. the major ingredient um but then the next thing is to figure out how to give these young people a childhood and an adulthood at the exact same time
3: Mm.
1: part of the reason why many of them i found um, have been unsuccessful in their previous schools, is simply because life hasn't been successful to them, hmm. right? They're dealing with a whole bunch of adversities that the system outside of education um, really threatens them. They're dealing with foster care. They're dealing with being parents. They're dealing with raising their parents. They're dealing with poverty. They're dealing with um, coming out of the criminal injustice system mm. uh, so they're dealing with all of these other factors um you know they were taking out the house very young or they're homeless or they're living in shelters so all of these other things that they really can't control stifles their ability to simply enjoy life mm. and where that manifests itself manifests itself is in school because much of their active time in one stable location is the school during the school day. Mm. So the behaviors will come out in school. So at school, you gotta figure out how do you feed them? Mm -hmm. How do you get them to wash their clothes? How do you teach them to rock climb? How do you teach them to skate or skateboard? How do you teach them to ski? How do you teach them volleyball? How do you teach them simply to play tag? Those things that we did that were freeing as children They didn't have that experience. So the school has to provide opportunities for them not to just learn, but also learn socialization at the exact same time and learn that it's okay to smile. It's okay to skip. It is okay to eat ice cream. It's okay to be a kid. But you gotta go to college (laughs) or you have to get this career
2: yeah it's interesting i was at your school the other day and um it, it's a very interesting school you know i've mentioned to you when i was there you know i've visited lots of schools in the last 25 years and your school was interesting from a history standpoint it was interesting in, in from a black history standpoint to you have to show bit, you know uh, mandela when he came to the united states that building that you're at was the first place he visited when um Nelson Mandela came to the U.S. there and we landed in New York. That was fascinating to learn. But I want you to share a little bit about that. But also what's so interesting about your school was... um the environment those that know you you create a very non-judgmental atmosphere you're you're very into kind of receiving people where they're standing where they are talk a little bit about um school climate what that means to you and and i know your staff greatly respects you i know the students respect you that was i was able to observe that observe that in a couple hours i was there so that's not an easy thing to do and i go to a lot of schools in environments that have 10 times the resources and they don't create that type of um, safety. So talk about how you create safety, how you create this, the environment that you create, because I think it, it was pretty unique when I was there.
1: Absolutely. So the first thing is my office is in the middle of the hallway, not the door to the office. The actual office is a desk in the hallway, right? I had a phone installed. I bring my laptop out. And I conduct all my the- my meetings there, provided a the kid is not in some serious form of crisis, all of my meetings, everything I do is right in the middle of the hallway. So kids can see me working. Um, kids can see us meeting and planning for them. Kids can come sit at the table and do their work with me. Kids can just come out, sit at the table and get a hug from me. Mm-hmm. You know, I make That's it a, a point and it's, it's some of the most, the simplest things. Good morning, mm-hmm. baby. How are you? Or oh, I see you. It's like you're the school mom. <laughs> right but yeah. like the thing That's about cool. it is it's not just me it's the entire staff
2: yeah this yeah. is
1: how we all operate
2: mm-hmm. right yeah there's how- tremendous respect for everyone to uh, talk a little bit about um what you do to train your staff how, uh, my guess is i mean i'm sure you gatekeep make sure you have people there that know how to surrender the one up and, and help kids feel feel valued what, what what do you do though from a training standpoint like what are your rules and what are your um your methodology there
1: so, um, again, the biggest rule that I have for everybody is you got to love these kids. Mm-hmm. You got to love them, right? Let, let's let clean slate, because you don't know what it is that kid went through in order to just walk through the door, right? So everything has to be a clean slate. Um, if a kid blows up, okay, I hear you. I'll see you tomorrow. We're going to get this right. Mm. You, it's, it's okay. We're going to get this right. To date. It's March, the end of March. I probably suspended two kids for the entire school year football. So far. Wow. Uh, we, we've only had one fight um, in the beginning of the school year and midway through the school year. I corral the staff. We generally go on retreats in place. And the first activity we do is I post the mission, the school's mission and vision on the board and have them defend it what did we do to achieve this mission to show that we, what evidence do we have to Mm. show? And it's a constant reminder to them of all of the great things we're doing. Mm. But that doesn't mean that because, I mean, you you know, it is from good to great, but then it's also from great to greater.
3: Mm. So it sounds like you have,
0: Mm -hmm. oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was gonna say I just need my staff to understand we have to constantly reinvent ourselves, reinvent ourselves in order to and move forward, so we can move these young people forward.
0: I love I love your commitment to excellence, and I love that. So sometimes a culture of excellence can lead to competition, and you can kind of lose sometimes. I mean, you know, excellence is an amazing attribute, right? And constant learning and growth, but sometimes it slips into kind of a competitiveness. And you kind of you can lose sight in a culture like that of your why, like, why are we doing all of this? And it sounds like you're really able to hold those two ideas together at the same time, like re- always remembering why, like why you're doing what you're doing, but then also never becoming complacent. I I I love that combination. And it sounds like you're just a very natural leader. Um, you know, one, one thing that you mentioned earlier about, about focusing on the love, you know, Christian and I have been talking a lot about the power of unconditional positive regard and how, when people feel safe, when they feel like, you know, the, the adults around them or the, you know, your peers, when you feel like you have a group of people who unconditionally regard you with positivity, you can securely attach. And a lot of these kids, they're not able to securely attach at home or with peers. And I bet to have a place where they feel safe, Life is like a huge glass of fresh water in the middle of the desert.
1: Absolutely, because these young people know that we will go above and beyond, above and beyond in almost every capacity, right? And it's not just, you know, having a school food pantry or washing dryer. It's, I just had a young person maybe two months ago shot five times in his chest. Oh, I was at the hospital while he was oh in my surgery, gosh. right? I was at the hospital when he was in surgery, you know. So sorry. Um, when, if my parents, if my students lose a parent, I'm at that child's I'm at that parent's funeral. Mm. I'm supporting that kid. You know, we're sending a whole care package of food and items to that kid's home and that kid's family. You know, if a kid is hungry, I have cold cuts in my office, I'll make that kid a sandwich. Like, I oh, come on, baby, you need a bowl of cereal? Let's go, what is it that you need? So mm. they completely, and it's not just me, it's my entire staff. This is just the organizational culture of research right? Simple things like watching kids just go to a water cooler to just simply get a cup of water. But they know they must ask, Matt, please have a cup. And they must say thank you. They know that their most basic needs will be be met. But we do it in such a way where again, we're teaching you executive functioning skills. Because when you go out into the office, right, and you got to share that coffee pot, you have to learn how to converse with people with your colleagues. You know, and these are things that they're learning while they're here in school. And most people, when I first started research um, and I started decorating and taking pictures of kids and framing them, put them up, people told me the David tutorial principles. They were like, all you're doing is, 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 you might as well be an event planner. And I was like, do you understand that this, <laughs> making this space comfortable for children to learn in mm. means they'll learn more.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, You know, one thing you you also do at your school, Dr. Farrington, that I was really impressed with is um, you're not afraid there at that school to teach real history, real day-to-day things that have impacted their life in the past. It's it's impacting day-to-day stuff today. Give you an example. I walked into one classroom. I don't know if you remember. It put me in tears a little bit. It was a classroom that had replicated um, Nelson Mandela's um, prison cell. and and that was an emotional experience for me when you had the picture i I don't even know how to describe that to our listeners but um talk a little bit about um why you're you know we're living in a world today that people are are afraid to speak truth to really speak about justice and there's many many reasons for that but talk about you know about that classroom why it maybe moved me emotionally and and why
1: you're willing to um take a stand on on that so um like you mentioned earlier, um, this campus is the first place. Well, it wasn't a campus then. Um, is the first place that Nelson Mandela came to in America when he got out of jail, and did a speech um, for all of all of Bed Stuy, all of Brooklyn. I mean, uh, Bed Stuy was shut down when Mandela came. Um, for his 100th birthday, the South African consulate reached out to the schools, the three schools on campus, and asked them if we can asked us if we can do anything to um, commemorate his 100th birthday. And we only had about. Uh, literally maybe a week and a half to do it now I was like oh my god what are we going to do because this is major like it, and we're going to have the Mandela's family members and coming and I was like this well, is I didn't me. realize you
2: were there when that happened interesting
1: as a kid yeah As was so a kid, you know, a kid. Um, okay 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 yeah. okay all right all right yeah. so i said what can i do really quickly with very Little resources, very little money. Um, well, let me work with my custodians. And my custodians went in and, and got the supplies for us. And they built an exact replica of Mandela's jail cell when he was in Robins Island. And then I have a huge mu- a picture of what he would be viewing if you if he was standing at, you know, the window um, in his jail cell. Um, and the interesting thing about doing that is when I built it, people often would walk by and say, is that the cell you put your bad kids in?
3: Oh, wow. wow. You
1: know, and I would say, you know, I would get upset. I would, I was like, no, a cell is there. So my my young people can understand Mandela spent 27 years in there so you can be free out here.
0: Mm, That's powerful. How did it feel to come full circle? You say you, of course, you were a girl when this happened, when he originally visited him. And and also a side note, what was the original purpose of the building that your your school is now in? Uh, What was it it at the time? It, it was a high school, boys and girls high school. Okay, it was a boys and girls high school. Okay, boys and, 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 he, high school, yes. and he visited and he, and he spoke at this high school and half of Brooklyn was shut down. And mm-hmm. how did it feel to come full circle from this moment that you were probably aware of as a little girl to like, you know, hosting this kind of event, this like recreation of what you experienced as a child?
1: So this building has many, um, it, it it is... It, this building, <laughs> boy, if history could talk, right? if if the ghosts of powerful people roam these halls every single day,
2: you know, and, and I, I want to emphasize, I literally felt that there, you know, I visit thousands schools, not too many schools move me emotionally like that. It was an emotional experience because I felt that history. i I felt it. Mm.
1: Being able to lead in this community, being able to lead, I live 16 blocks away from my school, right? Literally, it's just 16 blocks. Um, Going into grocery stores, going into corner stores, going into, I mean, the laundromat. There is always somebody I know. Thank you for educating my child. I needed this, I needed your school. My family needed your school. We have cases where I've educated actually, I think four siblings at four different times. where well, yeah. we're able to graduate four siblings at four different times because parents in the neighborhood just know this is where they have to be. This is just what the kids need in order to be successful. And I understand that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants like Nelson Mandela. But more importantly, being in this building, um, and I, I won't say equally as important, Um, As Nelson Mandela, like I'm running on the legacy of the great, the late great Frank Mickens, who was the historic principal of Boys and Girls High School, right? Mm -hmm. And when he passed, I got the honor of reading the obituary at his funeral. Never thinking I'd open up a school in his building.
0: Yeah, tell me, tell me about that. I want to know why you called it research and service. And so, I wanna know like, how this school got transitioned from being what it was to what you made it.
1: So um, the original name, when I wrote the proposal, the original name was gonna be Tuskegee Academy. That was the original name, um, because I, I looked at the tenets of what Booker T. Washington did when he opened Tuskegee um, University. And it was purposeful instruction, purposeful research, and purposeful service, right? During that time period, the research um, that young people at Tuskegee were doing was looking at what are the latest innovations in, term, in, in carpentry and agriculture, and then using those innovations, what service could they provide um, to the community? So in thinking about the research and, and service component, um, for us, it really is what the kids do research and look at what are issues impacting their community and what service could they provide for it could they provide for that issue? But going back to the name, we were approved to open as a school and they said we have one issue. And I said, and when I say they, I'm talking about the Department of Education. So what's the issue? They said you can't name a t- school Tuskegee. And I was like, well, why not? That makes, it, what? That's that's. We've got a mm. logo. we got Booker T. Washington on a logo. What are you talking about? What, you, what do you mean? And he's like, nope, can't be Tuskegee mm. because of the syphilis experiment that the government conducted on black men in Tuskegee, uh, Alabama. Okay. Oh, and my I, gosh. No lie. Wow. No lie. So I said, well, wow. what about Booker C. Washington Academy? And they was like, nope, you have to contact the last living relative and that's gonna to take too long. I said, I got the dopest name thing. I can get somebody on the phone right now and they'll give me approval. They said, what? I said, Frank Mickens Academy. It's the legendary boys oh, and girls. Wow. Everybody knows he is the, the everybody knows. You say boys and girls high school, you understand Frank Beckins, mm-hmm. everybody yeah. knows that. They yeah. said, absolutely not. They said no names. What? I said, so you guys understand the power of the name. So let's go on ahead and play this game. So the guy says, well, what are some of the cross streets of the school? I said, well, technically the front of the building is, is Fulton Street, but if you look at the bottom of the little green street sign, it says Harriet Tubman Way. Ooh! Right? They, said, well, said the no. they said no to that they said what are the wow. straps I said wow. Marcus Bobby and Malcolm X they said what and the guy thought I was playing <laughs> he pulled up Google Earth right and I was like see these are the games you're playing I yeah. said I want to he said what about wow. said, Jackie I'm... Robinson Park because Jackie Robinson's home is two bu- two buildings away from the school i was like yeah in that side the names and you know of course their names are some of the street names are named at the president monroe madison but that's further further down so they say you know what we'll choose a name for you that's exactly what they did and they named us research and service high school but what i did i changed my logo i changed my logo to a black panther and said i will always be huey p newton
2: Mm, 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 mm. Well, you know, one of the things that's so powerful hanging up in your um, school is you, you mentioned Black Panther. They you have the um, oh, just some some kind of Hollywood representation. Something they look like Hollywood posters. Talk a little bit about that project and and how that is something that empowers your students to see who they are. You know, physically um the beauty you know it's interesting what you had to deal with not being able to name that incredible school after someone who it should have been honored after is 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 heartbreaking but i'll tell you what you being at your school you did you do honor those students in a powerful way share a little bit about that some of the artwork in your school and stuff and
1: Right. So I was working with um, an organization called Kimball and they just have an app where teachers can take attendance on their phone. Um, so they don't have to do like the bubble sheets and, you know, just swipe and you take the kid's attendance. Um, and they wanted to take pictures of us using the app and the photographer came to the school and we were, um, meeting with parents in the pantry. And he came into the pantry and he was like, this is the most beautiful pantry I've ever seen. I cannot believe you have an entire room for free food and housing products, household products for students. And I was like, yeah, that's just the research way. You know, for me, it's it's a no-brainer.
2: And you also have um, tennis shoes, I want to point out, because I've been doing quite a few of those food pantries. Yours were the first to have tennis shoes up down the top row, some dope tennis shoes. I was I was impressed with that, too.
1: Got a little bit of everything in
2: <laughs> It was cool. It was cool.
1: He said, I want to find a way to give back to the school. I don't have money, but I have a camera. And I was like, OK, no problem. He said, let's do a photo shoot. The movie Wakanda had just come out. He said, listen, I'm going to do a photo shoot with you and some of your students, and I'll make you guys into the characters from Wakanda." Uh, And I was like, oh, okay. You know, my brain didn't understand how that was going to work. And he did a photo shoot with us. And he said, I'm going to show you each a picture. I simply want you to pose like this picture we have on our regular clothes. There's no makeup. There's nothing. There's no, you know, we're not putting on costumes. And when he emailed me back these, these photos, I said, there is no way that this can ever just lie dead in my computer. Mm-hmm. I must pay respect to the movie Wakanda. I must pay respect to the artistry of this photographer. And I have to figure out what is the best way to display this thing and get kids to really see themselves in such a powerful light. So, again, working my custodial staff. I love those guys. They, they go above and beyond. Most of my hallway are lockers. So I don't have a lot of wall space. So we just took, they, they took some wood. They posted some uh, mud cloth and I found some beautiful crown um, uh, frames and printed these pictures out. We had a whole unveiling and the kids were just so shocked to That's see them. Word. I mean, because it really just is, is is it's, it's powerful to walk past it every day in, in order to see yourself as a king, as a queen, as mm. a warrior. It's really dope.
0: That's so dope. It's so dope. So it sounds like starting, to, I'm going to call it Tuskegee Academy, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, do <it. laughs> let's do it.
2: AKA.
0: the I can't tell <laughs> me what to say. Allison, <laughs> Allison. <laughs> um, to, to, it's been quite a labor of love. Tell us, I mean, obviously to fight for something like this, you got to really believe in it. And I want to hear I, about how you how you decided that this was what you want to do. What led you to that? And, and what are some of the other challenges that you faced getting it off the ground? Did you ever feel like giving up?
1: No. You know, the crazy thing is I tell people all the time um, the, the feeling that I had as a small child um, the night before the first day of school, when you're really excited to see your friends, you hadn't seen them during the summer, you get your new school clothes, you know, you get you're excited to get your new notebook and your new school supplies. That feeling is what I still have every single day. Mm. waking up to come here, no matter what it is I'm dealing with, just to walk in and smile, right? And be happy because I too forget all of my stresses when I come here. Mm. When I walk into this building, I forget all the stresses. And trust me as a human being, I go, man, during the pandemic from, from, from uh, January, 2020 through August, 2020, I lost 18 people. Mm. You lost 18 people? 18 people. Some oh. to COVID. I lost both my grandmothers, oh. right? Being uh, oh. an educator here oh. before COVID. I lost my mom to breast cancer. You know, during COVID, I lost my boyfriend of 17 years. He waited until I walked in the hospital room, and 10 minutes later, he passed, right? Oh. So oh. What?
2: Oh. Unbelievable.
1: Coming here is kind of like my own cocoon. Oh. It's my own hug, walking through the doors every day. I get a hug from wow. So it's important for me to be here. Like right now, I'm 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 talking to you guys inside of the food pantry because generally, like I said, my office is in the middle of the hallway. Kids know when I'm not in the middle of the hallway. They know they were like, Miss F, where were you at? We didn't see you. What what is everything okay?
0: Yeah, everything okay they want to make sure you're okay allison you are just like such a stalwart woman i i mean just as yeah. you're telling me this like this these just little snippets of stories of losing 18 people no her results like, is unbelievable like it, i really am touched by just the fortitude that you have like the personal fortitude and i'm so grateful that you have a family it sounds like you have like a real family in well, this building did. well she had yeah Go ahead, go ahead, Alice.
1: I got a couple of families, right? Yep, I was just going to say the same thing. I'm her
2: brother, I'm her brother, and we'll talk about that in a minute.
1: (laughs) First, I have this research family, and then I have three beautiful children of my own. They're Mm. all adults now, thank you. I'm so happy I didn't have to be a parent during COVID. (laughs) You guys don't know. (laughs) The struggle that parents were having trying to educate their children. Mm. Um, But then I also have my OSG family, right? So I'm just surrounded by all of these different people who love me, I love them. We work together for a common good, you know? Um, and it's just its just so easy to do. It's so easy to just simply do the right thing because it's right.
0: Mm. I love that perspective. And, you know, there is an effortlessness that can come even through really hard challenges when you know there are people around you who have your back and when you're just prioritizing showing up for them and letting them show up for you. Like, it it just makes life so much better, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. The, yeah. The your environment, you know, what you've created in your school. You know, I've observed what you've done there, and you're also transitioning that to a part of a national movement that you know we're both part of OSG and off school grounds. You know, talk you know a little bit about what um what OSG means to you, and I know it's part of your tribe, it's a family to you, and but talk about um. Wh- What you want to see happen nationally in this country to help improve education to help kids and you know i'm i'm proud of and you're going to be humble because I know that's how you are i've observed you now for over a year and you're very low-key but you know i i'm very good friends with a lot of the leadership at osg and i've heard them talk about you behind your back and they love you to death they see you as one of their heroes and these are amazing people amazing people you know from dennis mcee to akbar cook to amon raw and i'm i don't want to leave anybody out these are just people that naturally People would know, and, and Dave, I'm not kidding. She's their hero, mm-hmm. and and it's and, and to hear them talk about her is has been incredible yeah. to me, and that's why the, to have her on here meant a lot to me to get her on here. It's funny, I'm gonna go out and live on a limb. You know, her school is one of the only schools I've ever walked into that um you know usually I have huge pressure. They want me to do something because so she was like, Hey, Christian, you just be with us. You're fine. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. You're in a safe place. She made that for mm-hmm. me, and like it was night nice. after like even 10 minutes of being. There, I'm like there's no expectation. It's just, she's You're just showing me everyone walks in that yeah, the, the same, same way. Yeah. Same yeah. Care. Yeah. And, and That's beautiful. And usually I feel tremendous pressure and she didn't, she didn't put that on me at all, which is very unique it, it, as a consultant. And I, I'll never forget that, but, but I would just want you to know, Dave, what she's doing nationally. And I think, you know, one of my goals in having you on here and I'm going to keep doing over the next few years is, is, to get her voice out there in education your message out to
0: the educators in our audience and i mean you know and we'll get to this but like i if you're comfortable sharing some kind of contact information or something if there's someone in the audience who wants to reach out or anything i can cut this part out if you don't want me to but
1: no it's not a problem it's not a problem but but when you answer that
0: question i just said a minute ago that question
2: on um where do you you know what do you want to see happen national, if you had a magic wand, you were the secretary of education, you know, and you ought to be the secretary of education. That's another workshop. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but if you um, were in that position, you know, what are the two or three things you'd want to shake up? Dr. So,
1: um Because I, I honestly um, feel like all of the systems that touch students, um, whether it's health um, system, whether it's housing, whether it's, you know, court involved, um, all of the systems that touch children need a space in schools. And here's why I say that. Kids come here hungry, right? Kids come here homeless. Kids come here um, with mental health issues. So all of those systems that are out there to address all of those need to be in every school. If a kid comes to me and says, Ms. F., I'm about to be evicted, I think that every school should have, my family's about to be evicted, I think that every school should have someone on staff that can be a housing advocate for them. If a kid comes here and says, listen, I don't have dental insurance, but I have a real bad toothache. Mm -hmm. There should be a place in the building that a kid can go to get dental help, medical help, mental help, anything, (laughs) mindfulness help in every single school. Because all of those things outside of school that touch kids outside of school, again, those negative behaviors generally present themselves in school. And sometimes I don't have time. Sometimes I don't have time. um, to, as a parent, there was times as a working parent, as a parent who was going out to get master's degrees and doctoral degrees, I didn't have time to show up to PTA meetings. I didn't have time to go to, you know, I wasn't the best parent going to every single doctor's appointment. Sometimes I had to send them with my mom, right? Sometimes I had to send my kids with their dad because I was just too busy to do stuff. So if, if parents are dealing with all of this, right? Parents need resources as well. I think every single school, every single school should have some system in place to help the entire child, everything about them. And the other thing, every kid needs to be able to read by the time they leave first grade. Yep. I mean, the most basic. There's a study out by a brother, and it's an old study, um, by a brother named Alfred Tatum out of the University of Chicago. And he said that on average, between inception and five years old, white parents read to their children about 11,000 hours, from inception to five years old. Black parents read to their children seven hours, not 700, not 7,000, a total Uh of seven hours.
0: And I'm sure a part of the calculation in that is just the pressures, you you know, the pressures of life, people working two, three jobs, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of complicated factors that go into that equation. Um, What, what are your thoughts on that? Like how, like, what do you do about that? That's an incredible discrepancy.
1: It's an incredible discrepancy. And that causes a linguistic gap that kids walk into school with, it causes a gap in just their vocabulary. So there's a huge game of catch-up that has to happen once kids enter into kindergarten. There's a huge game that has to happen of catch-up in in terms of just vernacular and and vocabulary. So if we did a strong job around really, really, really early, early, early elementary um, education and, and early childhood education, um, and, and understanding that education is the great equalizer. Amen. I think schools would change, you know, mm. protect them from all of these systems and structures that are harming them out there inside a school and give them the most basic and foundational education as soon as they hit the school building. Because unfortunately, a lot of times, especially in communities of color, we're not sending our kids to pre-K, we're sending our kids to Miss Wanda's house. And there is a difference. Yes.
2: And, and, you know, it's hit me hard what you're saying, Dr. Farrington there. And I think that's something, you know, we at OSG got to do too, is just be screaming more about, because my, my experience in the African-American community is I've done work from Baltimore, Chicago, all over when they see those statistics and they understand the importance of reading and it just it says the day, it's not, they don't want to do it. and It's not even yeah. the work, the work needs to play a role in it. It's just, it's the environment environments. Mm. Emphasize different things yeah. more, and and I know so many African American parents now who are reading to their kids more, and that's being emphasized. And so, but I know we as education leaders, man, we've got to get that message out. We, I wish you were the Secretary of Education to get that out because it's it's something that's really simple, but it's something that's massive. And you know, I, I myself, you know, my parents didn't read to me at all, and that wasn't a part of, of how I grew up. And then. Uh, I was sent to another community where that was a very, very common thing, but it was just access to that information I'm seeing on, you know, Mm. so many social issues, social justice issues, so many things, it's just, um, there's no maliciousness there, there's no, um, it's not even like education, it's a lack of awareness of, of, of that information being shared across the board. I know um, Dennis has talked a little bit about that as well. Dennis McKeesi's emphasized the reading. And so I don't know, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out. That, that's something you and me, mate, we got to pick up the sword on that a little bit. I, I would love to work with you, Dr. Farrington, helping get that message out.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it doesn't even make a difference what you read to a child. Mm. It's, it's the tone in which you read it. You can read yeah. the New York Times to a child when yeah. they're a baby. They don't know what you're saying. They don't know, you know, they don't know Dr. Seuss from, from the New York Times when, they, when they're, especially in the womb, mm-hmm. right? They have no clue. It's the tone in what you read to the baby. But then once you read things that have an expansive vocabulary, yeah. they start picking up on context. Yeah, clues context. To what, particular, mm-hmm. what particular words mean. You know, what we call them, you know, in the high school, uh, I, I there's a group of words that we call what they call like tier two words. So these are words like fundamental, foundational. Yeah. Um, our kids struggle with reading comprehension because of words like that. Mm. Sometimes they'll be able to pronounce them, but because it's not used in their common everyday language, they don't know what the sentence means.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Our kids struggle with reading comprehension because they don't know how to use a comma. you know so there's just these small nuances in education that need to get get, get fixed um that can go a long way
2: yeah you know one thing i love what you're doing dr farrington is you're taking kids again the requirement to be at your school is that they fail um a few minutes ago i was working with the district and um they were sharing with me that they have all these scholarships available for kids that have three point five GPAs and I maybe just got in trouble a little bit with this district because I pushed back and I just said you know if we could get it down to the um if we had this money available for the students with 2.0 GPAs we might find another you know amazing person we could find another Mandela we could find another Christian Moore another you know Allison you know Dr. Allison Farrington another if we just made sure that even kids are failing and and you could tell they were so excited to tell me about, and this is a scholarship for any kid that's willing to go into nursing, the medical field and all the stuff. And that was a beautiful thing, but I just wish that it was, um, for the money being available resources being available for a broader range of kids you know we know like sometimes you know the c students become the best entrepreneurs and stuff what what are your feelings about that around scholarships and money available for a broader range of students
1: it's not even scholarships and money it's it's bigger just like access to to opportunities so like for instance right in new york city we have something called college now so this is like kids can um high school kids can take college classes with the different CUNY schools here, right? City of New York, uh, uh, New York schools, colleges here. And when we first opened, um, my students couldn't take any of these college level classes and they actually like go to different colleges. Like they go to Mega Ever yeah. or they go to Brooklyn College and they sit, you know, they're taking college level classes. My kids couldn't go because their transcripts were so messed up. But I said, look, the kid got a 90 on the English Regents. He can take a, you know, a a composition one English class. He's already proven himself. Mm. And they were like, yeah, but look at the GPA. And I was like, do you understand the purpose of my school? Yeah.
3: Can
1: can we look at, can we, can we decide for my young people, right? Who, none of them I, I I I'm telling you, and I love my babies, but because of their transcripts before they got to me, none of them will have uh, receive high academic standings, scholarship, none of them. Well,
0: yeah. they need a fresh start. Everybody needs a fresh start. Everybody needs a chance to have the slate wiped clean and for you to just try again, you know, and not to have your past continue to follow you. You know, if you're doing better, then you should have, you should have it wiped you know and 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 we have lots of structures where you can do that you know you can have a a record expunged from when you were a, a, a juvenile right like there are lots of there are lots of ways that we allow people to have a fresh start and and these kids they just need to be given a clean slate right a fresh start like look at what they're what they are now stop stop letting their past haunt them
1: right absolutely absolutely and we hmm. were working with one of the, one of the colleges here to do a partnership where there's a couple of unused rooms, or there were a couple of unused rooms um, uh, in the building, and we were going to build an annex for the college here. And we were like, you know, the kids who graduate from the campus will be able to go to college just in a different hallway. Um, and when we were in the design phase, unfortunately that deal fell through, but when we were in the design phases, the college was telling us that the kids have to have a certain GPA. And I was like, so y'all can't sit at the table with me. I'm gonna stay at this table, but y'all can't sit at the table with me. And they were like, well, why not? I was like, cause none of my kids will fit this criteria. So what is the purpose of you being at this table?
3: Mm. Wow.
1: And I had to make them change the requirement. It's unfortunate that the deal fell through, but I had to really make them look and I had to like physically show them kids transcripts. I said, look, this is what I mean. This kid failed for two years before they got to me, been with me for two years being, and they're doing very, very well, but the GPA will never reflect that.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, There's too much, there's too much history built up. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, as, as we've kind of meandered across all these topics, you know, talking about your childhood in Brooklyn, your, your trip out to Vermont, and then your return as an educator and the successes that you're having now, and just all of the stands that you're able to make. I just see, like, I just see you just come across to me like the stalwart person who's just marching forward. You, you realize what you wanted to do while you were in college. And, and I think one part of the story that we never really got to is like, what made you want to be an educator in the first place? Like what what brought you to this?
1: Let me, you know, it's the corniest story in the world, for real. I wanted to be a teacher when I was a child because I just wanted to wash wash the chalkboard. That was it. <laughs> mm, wash the chalkboard. You wanted to wash the chalkboard?
2: <laughs> you know, there's, you know, I got to share with you. There's actually, you we're laughing, but there's actually some data behind that. You know what's interesting about that? I was looking at some research not too long ago that shows if you have a person engage in whether it's you give kids the opportunity to like clean a plant, you know, what I mean, water plants, clean a chalkboard, um, paint something on the wall in the school. You know, all of us to participate. See, if you're washing that chalk, if you're writing and washing on that chalkboard, you're being seen. I don't want to. I, I want you to finish it. But the ability, the need to be seen, is mm. such a human human need and we know coming out of covid you know that need to be seen is so important so i'm sorry i don't mean to play your therapist um allison but i'm just going wait a minute there's actual data behind um what she's saying here but i want you to talk more about what that meant for you being able to to wash that chalkboard, stand at that chalkboard to be an educator. I'll be oh, quiet. Sorry. But you right just hit now. me what you said there.
1: As a as a small child, you know, in elementary school, the teacher used to have all of these different monitors, right? There was the bathroom monitor, there was the office monitor, there was the chalkboard monitor, there was the wardrobe monitor. Uh-huh. And I just remember being a small kid and I was like, I do not want to be the bathroom monitor. First, all my classmates outside of one hate me for the color of my skin. So I'm mm-hmm. not walking in the bathroom with you. We will not pretend in laugh and joke when I know you don't like me because of my skin color, because you've thrown stuff at me or because you've passed me notes and called me the n-word so no I will not be anybody's bathroom monitor you can forget that plus I don't want to be anybody's bathroom monitor that young because I was like I don't know if you're gonna wash your hands while you're in the bathroom (laughs) and we had the whole hands going back and forth so we're not doing that I didn't want to be the office monitor because the, the the secretary in the office of our elementary school was really really mean And I was like, I'm not, I'm getting beat up by the kids. Well, not physically beat up, but I'm getting beat up by the kids in my classroom to have to go get photocopies from the secretary. And she's going to be yelling at me too. I don't want that job. I want to be the chalkboard monitor because I watched my teacher with her chalk holder right on the board. I used to love how when you washed it and the lines were straight, I loved it. Now here's the crazy thing, right? One year, Uh, We had just gotten back from from summer break and the teacher calls me up to the board. And I was like so excited because I was the chalkboard monitor and I had washed this board and it was dope. Um, And she asked me to write the numbers one through 12 on a line across the top of the board. And I did. And then she said, now I want you to write the months of the year in correlation with the number. So I did one, January, two, February, three, you know, March, four, April, five, May, six, June, seven, September, eight, November. Right. And got it all wrong. Here's the reason why I got it wrong. I did not know the words July and August existed. Whoa. And this again goes to that vocabulary gap, right? Mm -hmm. We say at at the end of the school year, we say, have a good summer yeah i just knew that there was a summer mm. and i thought that june was just prolonged and we came back in september wow and she called me she said to me in front of all my classmates you've got to be the dumbest child in the world oh and I sat down, and I wanted to become invisible. I said, "I don't want to be nobody." Chokeboard monitor. I'm not speaking ever again in this class. And mm. I have my old report cards to prove. My teachers to say too quiet in class, mm. Me, to be prompted to speak because you called me stupid. Mm. You called me dumb. Everybody laughed at me. So I went from then. I was like, I don't want to be the chokeboard monitor. I don't want to be a teacher anymore either right? I didn't want to get up out my seat. I didn't want to walk to the chalkboard to do addition problems. To this day, I still have a math phobia because of that. Um, but then going to Vermont and looking at all of the things that the kids there had in their schools, I said, I need to become an educator. You know, um, when, when I realized politics didn't, wasn't going to work out for me, because I don't see gray, right? And I'm not really one that's really um, transactional. I'm not into making deals. And I, I can't do all of that. Let's just get it done. That's just how I operate. Um, that that allowed me to know just, just um, selling drugs and doing all the stupid things that I was doing, thinking about all of the lives I destroyed. I said, the way in which I restore is to educate other people.
0: Mm. Well the the restoration work that you're doing there in Brooklyn at Tuskegee Academy
3: I'm <laughs> in trouble
0: man. Oh sorry I mean uh, research and service uh, it's beautiful Allison and and we really appreciate you opening up and sharing with us today. I hope wow. I don't get you in trouble with the Department of Education.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> One
1: thing about me is I as I do not ask for forgiveness. Mm. I do not ask for forgiveness, you know. So there's no getting in trouble with anybody. It's not my fault. It's yeah, yeah. not our fault that they wouldn't let us be. It's not our. It's not my fault that if this experiment existed.
2: Amen. Mm-hmm. You Amen. can't get
1: mad at me over your own history. You mm-hmm. put yourself in this predicament.
2: That's it. That's it. I'll tell you what, man. I. It was educators like you that opened up doors for me and your resilience is absolutely amazing man I, I wish I could have interviewed you man when I was working on my book on resilience but man your example to me and I know your example to many many educators it is amazing. I know Dave was asking about how educators can get a hold of you yeah yeah so if we want to reach out and pick your brain
1: yeah uh, yeah here's my email address. Um, it's a F as in Frank. A-R-R-I-N at schools.myc.gov
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Farrington, for your time today, and uh, we look forward to seeing you on the OSG.
1: Yes, yes, I'll be there. Thank you, guys. And tomorrow we have a dope, again, we have a dope food drive with OSG, Think Watts, and uh, New York Food Bank. It's going to be dope from uh, 12 to um two until all the food is gone and you know if anybody's in new york in the brooklyn area come out 1700 fulton street that's awesome
2: what you're doing to to feed people to you know take care of those basic needs man you're the real deal you've lived it you know the importance of it and you know i'm proud of what osg and what they're doing to partnership to feed people that's incredible work thank you
1: thank you absolutely thank you